Thank you, worship team. Uh, can we just give another round of applause for such a great worship service? Yes. It is wonderful. I, I look forward to it every week. I go home on Sundays going, man, I can't wait to do that again. Can we just keep singing? I would love that. Um, such a wonderful time uh, and such a great time to remember who Christ is, what he's done for us, and our uh, obvious response back to him. So we'll welcome you guys. Glad you're here. Glad you joined us on this uh, cold morning at just right after Halloween. It starts getting cold again. This is great. I'm looking forward to the holidays. Uh, and yes, I, am, I will confess to you with no shame that Christmas music went on right the day after Halloween, November 1st. So um, Christmas music is bouncing around my head, which is a dangerous thing. I could just break out in song at any point. So just beware. I've got the spirit, and I'm excited about it, and I will share that spirit with anyone who wants to listen. Um, we are starting a new series this morning, and I'm really excited about it. It's called The Power of Routine, uh, and it's all about spiritual disciplines. And spiritual disciplines are those things that we work at in our life over and over and over and over, pretty much our whole life, to develop our relationship with God and to understand his will for us. And, and we're going to be taking a couple of weeks. We're going to be taking two weeks. We're going to look at prayer this morning, and we're going to look at it next week, and then the, um, the time after that, we'll be looking at Scripture and how Scripture impacts us on a routinely basis, and then the final week, we're going to be talking about fasting, which um, don't hear too many messages on fasting, so I'm excited to, to dig into that with you as well. So would you just pray with me uh, as we begin our service? Lord Jesus, thank you for the opportunity to open your word this morning. And God, as always, I ask, I request, I plead with you to move in these people's hearts uh, get me out of the way, Lord. It, it's not about me. It's not even about my preparation or my study. It's about you speaking. And God, I so want that. I want you to move. I, I want to see you move, and I, and I want to worship you for it. Thank you for being a God who desires relationship with us. Thank you for being a God who desires our prayer, our communion with you. And Lord, thank you for this church, that we get to come to this place with these wonderful people and worship you together. So speak to us, Lord, as we look at your scripture this morning. In your name, amen. I'm not sure, um, you remember the first time somebody sat down with you and taught you how to pray? I have kind of this vague time period in my life when I felt like I was taught for the first time to play, pray <laughs> and play. Um, I, was, I grew up in a Christian home, and I experienced my father's prayers over the dinner table, and, and we had this routine where we would, um, we would sit around in a big circle at a big family, seven of us in the family, and we would read scripture every night, and even the boring passages. Dad would take us from Genesis 1 to Revelation 21, like straight through without missing a chapter, and, and some, most nights, you know, you'd fall asleep listening to him reading. He has this big, boisterous, deep voice, which was soothing. But I remember hearing my parents pray, and, and even as a child, noting things that they did and wondering why they did this and, instead of that. And I can remember in Sunday school, it was about the same time that you learned the, the, the steeple and the, you know, the church. You guys know this little phrase? You know, it's like, here's the church, here's the steeple, open the door, see all the people, right? I don't know how old I was, probably three, two or three years old. And then you can reverse that. Ooh, this is scary, right? Church, yeah, here's the church, here's the steeple. Oh, where's all the people? Ah. That was about the same time that a Sunday school teacher sat down with me, I think, I assume, and said, Josh, this is how you pray. This is how you talk to your Father who is in heaven. And from that point on, I don't think anybody ever said that to me again. 
I don't think all the time in my family as a, as a Christian and, and be, becoming a Christian and trusting Jesus and learning to pray, I kind of just learned by what I heard. No one really sat with me and said, hey, consider this. Think about that. If it's okay to wonder this. It's okay to ask that. And so I just picked up things as I went along, which is not bad. I think that's pretty much how we all have learned to pray. And if you think back into your childhood and, and, and you can remember receiving Christ for the first time, maybe about the same period, maybe a little earlier, you learned how to converse with God. And I got to thinking, why, why isn't there more instruction about prayer? And I think it's this reason. I think it's because most people know prayer is a conversation with God. Prayer is you conversing with the Almighty. And all you have to do is open the Scripture to pretty much any passage, and you're going to see God's desire to commune with us. So the kind of pressure's off as far as how. The pressure is off even as to why. We just, we just do it, and we know God wants us to, so we do this thing. And I think that's great. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But as I'm standing here about to teach about prayer, you might be thinking this. What could Josh possibly say that I haven't heard already about prayer, right? It seems to be kind of a simple topic. This is what you do when you want to talk to God. You just kind of talk to Him like you talk to somebody you know. You just talk to Him, and that's great. But have you ever wondered about prayer? Prayer is like this vessel like this avenue, this conduit that we have with God, and that's great, and we get that, and we understand that. But have you ever wondered a little bit more about it? you ever find in your, in your life you wonder why God answers that prayer but not this prayer? And, and if I can even go a step farther, there's been times in my life where I've gone, oh, God, you're, you're answering the wrong prayer, <laughs> right? Like the student that comes to me and is really not sure which, you know, Ivy League school to choose. He's been accepted to all of them, and he's just not sure. And, you know, I, 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 God spoke to me. God answered my prayer. I'm going to go to Harvard instead. Yeah. Versus the prayer where you're on your knees hour after hour to save your friend from cancer. Why, why God answer prayer A instead of prayer B? Sometimes I think, well, maybe if I just pray more, I can get those requests that I want. But, it, but doesn't it seem random? I mean, honestly, doesn't it seem random when you pray? When you pray for something and sometimes it happens the way you want. Sometimes you get a, a no response and the worst response to prayer is the silence. Have you ever gotten the silence where you're praying for something and you're praying for something and you're praying for something and you just get whew, nothing? What is that? What is that about? This is this relationship with God, and, and I'm praying, and I just, I don't feel like anything is happening. Recently, I, I, I had this question in my mind, and I'm, and I'm asking God, what option should I choose? And it's a serious option. It's, a, it's an option that's going to impact our family in a deep way. And, and I said, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to spend all day, and I'm going to pray. I'm going to fast, and, and when, whenever I feel hungry, and that happens pretty regularly, I'm, that's a reminder to me to say, Lord, what do you want? What direction do you want me to go? God, I, I, I want what you want. I just want to know. What should I do? And at the end of that day, 
I actually end up more confused than when I started. Where was, where was God in that exchange? I have these deep questions about prayer, and if you've ever thought about it, you probably do too. What makes God give us a yes versus a no versus a silence? We've got to figure that out, right? This randomness can drive people to stop praying. Maybe that's you. Maybe there's been periods of your life where you're like, you know what, I cannot keep track of the times he says yes and the times he says no and the times he says maybe just wait for it. I can't keep track. I'm done. I just, I just need to take a break. And it drives people to silence. And this randomness can also drive people to like prayer fury, right? Like I, if I just pray, I just got to pray, 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 pray. And it drives them to pray more because they're just not sure what God is going to do. There's this whole prosperity gospel. Maybe you've heard of this, this type of belief system where, where if you have enough faith in your heart, no matter what you ask, including a bigger bank account or a fancier car, God will give that to you. And there's these services that are filled with people that are hurting, and they come to be healed. And, and if, they, if they don't get healed, their response is, well, well, the reason God said no was because you don't have enough faith. They put that back on those hurting people. Can you imagine that? Going to a place and listening to somebody say, if you just trust, and you're going, I'm trusting, I'm trusting, and, and nothing. Whew. That would drive me to ask a lot of questions about prayer. So what's, what is the deal with prayer? That, that's one question. Like, how do, we, how do we predict the randomness of prayer, the success rate of prayer? That's just one. What about this one? What about these passages in Scripture that tell us to pray without ceasing? How in the world? I mean, I mean has, has the Apostle Paul not seen how busy I am? Like, what does that look like? Because I was taught to pray with my hands together, and if I did that all day long, I would get into an accident. Like, how does it work? How do you pray without ceasing? 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says, pray continually, dot, dot, dot. Like, like don't stop. And, and, and when you die, you're going to go to heaven, and you're just going to keep going, right? Just keep praying. And Ephesians 6.18 say, says, pray at all times. How in the world? I mean, I can think of those passages and immediately I get this, oh, I got to do more? <laughs> like, like, I don't have time to do more. Is that the secret? There's this one passage that always bangs around in the back of my brain when I think about prayer, and it's James 5, 16. The prayer of a righteous man is a powerful and effective. And I think of that verse every time I pray. And every time I get it, a nothing or a no, and I go, huh, I guess, I guess I'm not righteous. I guess I'm not a righteous man because I prayed and it, and it didn't go as I planned. So what do we do with these questions? What if there was more to prayer than we thought? What if everything that you've learned and experienced about prayer was like the threshold of the mansion that is prayer? What if there was so much more to prayer that you couldn't spend 
you're going to run out of years of your life before you discover all of it. What if there was this mansion of, of a prayer you can explore and it, and it just keeps going and it's bigger and bigger and bigger? What if prayer, what if there was more to it? I was um, young and foolish once. I know, crazy, hard to believe. I was 16, 17 years old, and, and I have this older brother who's amazing and I love dearly, and, and I would do anything he would tell me to do, anything. I can remember standing in the yard and him saying, hey, Josh, stand over there. I want to test out my blowgun. And I'm like, oh, okay. He's like, no, hold still. Don't, don't run or nothing. Okay? Just hold. And a dart hits me in the arm. I was about seven or eight. Ah, so cool. Ah, so cool. You know, like mixed emotions there. <laughs> Me and my brother were good friends, and my brother said to me one day, he said, Josh, you know, I've noticed that you're a little claustrophobic. And I said, well, yeah, this, this is true. <laughs> this is true what they say. And he said, well, I want to I get that out of you. I want to I teach you how not to be claustrophobic. And I said, okay, I'm all ears. So we're going to go splunking. We're going to go caving. And, 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 I've, and he did this homework. He had like 15 caves lined up in the state of Colorado. We're going to go visit. And I'm like, sounds great. <laughs> Let me pull that dart out of my arm first. So we drive all over the place. It's a, a, an adventure, like the, beyond my imagination. Me and my brother in his big truck, and we're driving, and we, and we get people to go with us at times. And I can remember this one cave. It was somewhere in the middle of all the caves we had experienced. But we get into this room, and it's winter, but caves remain 62 degrees at all times. So, so we get in this room, and we shed our, like, snowmobile outfits, and we get our, our helmets on and our, and our lights, and we get ready to go, and, and, and Rob says, Now, Josh... This cave, the instructions say that there's a long tunnel, but there's a really cool room on the end of that long tunnel, so you just got to bear with me, okay? Just bear with me. And I'm like, sure, great, tunnel. I'm thinking, you know, get on my hands and knees, like crawl through this little tunnel and big room. Well, when he said tunnel, what he meant was like a slash in the rock that was like, I couldn't, I couldn't get through it. In fact, it turned at one point and we were on our hands and knees. You, it's the kind of thing you can only do this in, and you can't do this. You have to do this to go in, right? I mean, it's so narrow. And I have my helmet on, but it keeps hitting the rock and the light. And, and I will never forget, it felt like hours. And I'm, I'm out of breath. I'm sweating. May have shed some tears. You have to ask Rob about that. I don't think I can do it. I don't think I can do it. And I can see my brother's boots wiggling, you know, as he kind of digs into the, into the, into the tunnel. And, and, and he said, it's okay. It's, we're almost there. We're almost there. And for an eternity, it felt like I cried and was out of breath and the claustrophobia, even telling you the story, I'm getting a little nervous. And there's this little tunnel. And as, he, as his boots disappear into the darkness, I realize the darkness is growing. And I get into this room, and I can tell just by the air and the sound that it's, that it's big. And it's like three times the size of the sanctuary. Like huge cavern, these huge stalagmites and stalactites like almost touching, and just the beauty of this cavern, and I just couldn't believe it. I wonder if prayer isn't like that, that we're, we're, we're crawling along in this tunnel, and there is something coming, that if we just keep crawling, if we just keep listening, if we just keep asking, this cavern is going to open up that's bigger than our wildest dreams. The group of guys in the New Testament, that asked the same question. In fact, when Jesus, as Jesus' disciples, when Jesus would pray, there was the kind of like, shh, shh, shh I, want to, I want to hear this. Want, what's he saying? 
What's he doing? I want to know how the rabbi teaches. And finally, at one point, he was finished praying, and and Luke 11 tells us that the disciples said, hey, Jesus, um, whatever that was, we want to know about that. How do we pray like that? And Jesus goes, well, glad you asked. Sit down, let me tell you. We're going to take the story up in Matthew instead of Luke, because he goes into a little bit more detail in, in, in Matthew's gospel. The disciples say, how do you pray? And, and in the Matthew's gospel, it's during the Sermon on the Mount that he describes this prayer. So we're going to pick it up in Matthew 6, verse 5. So fascinating. And if there's anybody that knew how to pray, it was the Jews. These people could pray. They could pray for day and for night, and they could keep going. Incredible discipline. You want to talk about the power of routine. These guys had the routine down. They would pray, and they would pray, and they would pray, and they would pray. So to have a group of disciples say to Jesus, "Uh, we know how to do what we're supposed to do, but what are you doing? It means something. There's something going on with Jesus and the way that he prays that's very different than the disciplines that they had learned. And Jesus says, okay, you want to know how to pray. This is how you pray. Verse 5, and when, not if, and when you pray. Do not, like, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they will receive their reward in full. Okay. Right away, we're saying this, this isn't the way the disciples grew up learning how to pray that all grown up seeing the hypocrites pray this way on the street corners, in the temples where their voices would echo. He says, don't, don't pray like that. I truly tell you, they, they have received their reward in full. Right there, we have location, we have motivation, and we have reward. Their location is public. Their motivation, social status, what people think of them, and the reward is just that. Jesus says, hey, those guys get a reward, and they've already gotten it, and there's nothing more for them. Don't pray like that. Don't pray like that. And I can imagine the disciples taking notes, except they didn't have anything right on. Maybe in the dirt they're taking notes. Okay, okay. Don't pray like our fathers and our grandfathers and our great-grandfathers. Don't pray like the Pharisees. Don't pray like the teachers. Don't pray like everybody that we've seen pray. Don't pray like that. Got it, Jesus. Where do we go from here? Why is Jesus' prayer so much different? And he continues in verse 6. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father, who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Interesting. We got location, right? Motivation's in there. You can think about it. And we got reward. Jesus is saying, listen, motivation to publicly be acclaimed for your prayer, for your spirituality, for how amazing you are at putting these things together... You get that reward, you move on. That's all you get. But suddenly, he tells us, location, motivation, and reward, you've got to pay attention to it. Go into your room where no one can see or hear you. Close the door 
Pray to your Father, your Father, the one who's sitting waiting for you to talk to Him. Pray to Him. And I love this. He says, who is unseen? It's like, yeah, yeah, we know we can't see God. But, but it's like Jesus saying, guys, I know. I know how hard it is to pray for something day in, day out, day in, and day out, and never see an expression. <laughs> never see the twinkle in the eye. Never see him reach out and put his hand over your shoulder as you pour your heart out to him. Jesus is saying, I know it's hard. But what you do in secret, your Father's going to reward you. Jesus is promising a reward for praying in secret. The location is secret. The motivation is intimacy. And the reward is full. Wow. It doesn't stop there. Verse 7, And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they'll be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. But what are we praying about? <laughs> if He knows, what, what are we doing? Jesus digs deeper. He talks about the, the motivation of the pagans. Isn't this a sad motivation? Have you ever felt this? The pagans are out there praying as much and as many words that they can just to be heard. They just want to be heard. The hypocrites are praying so they can get social status. That's a little more sinister. The pagans are out there praying, just, just somebody hear me. I'm desperate. Jesus said, you don't have to pray like that. Because your father knows even before you ask him. Well, so what do we talk about? If he already knows, what am I doing? What, why am I praying? And if you ask that question in your mind, why am I praying? I think you're at a good place. You're, at, you're exactly where God wants us. Why pray? What in the world is our motivation? If he already knows, what would your prayer life be like if you never made another request because you knew God knows. God knows before you can even articulate the words for the request. Strange. Motivation is powerful. So why pray? Why did the hypocrites pray? They prayed to glorify themselves. Why did the pagans pray? To be heard. Why do we pray? Why would we go into private and pray in a private room after we shut the door? Jesus is teaching us the why before he even gets to the how. And the why is because you have a relationship with him. Because he's someone that cares about you. He's someone that's like tapping his fingers, waiting for you to engage. In fact, if you want to think about it this way, according to Scripture, this is God's biggest fantasy. This is God's biggest dream. This is God's biggest hope is that one day he would walk with you in the garden the way he walked with Adam and Eve. It's his desire. It's why he sent his son. It's why he created the world, to be close. Jesus is saying, listen, if that's your motivation, if your motivation is closeness with the Father, something's going to happen. 
this light is going to go on inside you. It, it's like that moment when you're introducing yourself to a, a new friend and you realize that you have the same passion in common and all these like dreams start firing off. Oh, maybe I could go with him and do this thing and we could do it together and it would be great because we both love the same thing. Or, or maybe on a much smaller scale. In eighth grade, that girl you had a crush on in, in English class, and you finally worked up the gumption to go ask her out, and you realize suddenly that she wanted to ask you out too? Boom! It's like magic. Right? She wants the same thing I want. He wants the same thing I want. <gasps> when you realize this, the Father wants to be with you. When He wants to spend time with you, and you want the same thing, it's like this cavern. In fact, it's such a big cavern, you have this little headlamp and you're, you're trying to shine it around to see the whole cavern and you can't get it all. It's too much, it's too big. This is the why that Jesus is presenting to his disciples. He says, you want to know why I get up early and stay up late and I can't wait to go talk with the Father? It's because he wants me. He wants to be close and he cannot wait till I engage him and we dialogue about the stupidest stuff you could imagine because he already knows. Just wants to talk. Oh, it's powerful. I was a middle school and high school youth pastor for a lot of years, a lot of years ago. And um, I can remember we had this, we had this church building, this youth group building, and, and, and pretty close, a couple hundred yards away were these apartment complexes, and they were notoriously rough apartment complexes, so we were always trying to go over and like serve people and help pick up trash and meet people and, and bring in kids back, and we would do parties and, and have events, and the kids would come over. And I can remember there was a group of guys that were like 6th, 7th, and 8th grade. And, and I was primarily a middle school pastor at that point, and, and, and we would invite them over, and they were, all, they were like the three amigos. You know, they'd come over, and they'd hang out. They're great boys. They'd seen stuff that you and I can't imagine, right? Like, that's their life. But they would come over, and they would hang out with us. And, and we had this, this paintball field. It was so cool. This paintball field, and we would, we would pay, play paintball on the property, and kids would come from miles around to play paintball, right? And I can remember sitting... We're standing in a big circle with everybody, and we got all our gear on. We're ready to go, and, and, and Ricky is the name of this little guy. It was a strange name. Nobody is named Ricky. It's kind of an older name, but this, his name was Rick, and we called him Ricky. And, and, and I looked at Ricky, and I realized that I'd never actually engaged him spiritually, specifically. And we always would pray. We'd pray before the, 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 the event and after the event, and I said, Ricky, would you, would you pray for us before we start playing? And right as the words came out of my mouth, I realized this guy's probably never even thought about prayer, let alone praying publicly, let alone praying publicly in front of all his peers. Like, what was I thinking, right? Like, the kid's going to, like, turn around and run back to the apartment. But Ricky kind of, like, squared his little shoulders, and he all, you know, four foot three of him, he's this little guy, and he, yeah, all right, um, and this is what he did. <laughs> and, I, and it didn't hit me at the time how profound this was. It hit me later. He kind of lowered his head, kind of looking, okay, everybody's low, okay, everybody's low on their head. And he says, God, I hope you're having a good day. Hope you're having a good day. There's some chuckles, right? Like, who, who asked God if he has a good day, right? And he says, God, I just, I, just, I guess I asked that, that we would have a good day. <laughs> a, a, amen? Amen? Amen. Okay, amen. All right, done. We move on, have a great paintball game. And I thought about that later. And I thought how miraculous it was that this little guy, all the stuff he'd seen, had somehow picked up that God wants a relationship, that God is a person, 
that God is an entity and he has feelings. And to the little Ricky's mind, he was hoping that God had had a good day. Oh, it's beautiful. That is beautiful. I didn't grab Ricky and explain the eschatology and the pneumatology around why God can't have a good day or a bad day, that he's outside of time and he's all things to everybody and he's all powerful and all present and omniscient and all blah, blah, blah. I didn't, I didn't do that. Ricky didn't need to hear that. But isn't that profound? How often we forget that God is waiting for you to talk to him. This is why Jesus says, yeah, Go into your room, close the door, and talk to him. He's waiting for you. Before we even get to how, this is why. The series is called The Power of Routine. The Power of Routine. Before we can even talk to the specifics about what prayer looks like in our lives, we got to talk about why. Now, if you think about it, God wants you to talk to him. He's waiting for you to talk to him. And if you did that on a regular basis, if you disciplined yourself to going into your room and to closing your door, whatever it took, whatever scheduling miracle needs to happen for you to take 30 minutes a day to shut the door, get all the noise away, and just be with God. A little headlamp in a huge cavern. We're just starting to explore it. Prayers of intimacy illuminate our need and God's desire for relationship with us. This is what the disciples picked up on. Jesus, the more he prayed, the more he wanted to pray. The more he spoke with his Father, the more he wanted to speak with his Father. And the more he interacted with his heavenly Father, the more the disciples realized God wanted to interact with him. The pagans believed that gods were kind of like ears plugged, like, nah, come on, I don't want to hear it, I don't want to hear it, I don't want to hear it. You had to convince them to listen to you. And here is this God who's beating down doors, breaking through barriers just to spend time with you. The power of routinely communicating to God that you know he wants to spend time with you, and so do you change your life. It'll change your life if you've already known this. It'll change your life if you knew this when you were six years old and you're just growing into it. It's powerful. When we see passages like the Lord's Prayer and we forget to ask why, it sends us on a path that that is not bad. Prayer is never bad, ever. If you're praying, you keep praying. You keep praying. Romans 8:26 tells us that the Holy Spirit interacts with us and translates our prayers to the Father. So you lay prostrate on your floor with the door closed and you moan. You cry out in pain, and the Holy Spirit transforms that into a prayer for the Father. You can't make a mistake when you pray. You can't pray wrong. That's not what this message is about. David prayed that God would break the teeth of his enemies. You can't pray wrong. (laughs) You can't pray wrong. But to ask yourself why every now and then is really good for you. Why pray? 
I prayed, this was some years ago, asking God to uh, just tell me what, how, to, how to interact with someone that had hurt my feelings. And, and, and God moved in me, and, I, and he indicated to me that I needed to be a, a, a forgiving person to this friend, and I need to be able to show him grace and, and work with him. And, and, and I was like, well, of course, of course. I mean, just read anywhere in Scripture, God tells us to be forgiving, and we forgive you know, our brothers 77 times 7, and blah, 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 all that. I know that. Okay, great. Thank you, God, for confirming what I already knew. And I went to that person, I interacted with them, and they hurt my feelings so bad in that interaction that there is no way I wouldn't have responded with fury to them unless God had prepared in my heart to be forgiving and gracious. God answers prayer in ways that we don't even know. That's like shining the light on the back of the cavern and going, I think, yeah, I think God wants me to do this thing. I don't really know. And you do it and it's like, boom, God is so real in that moment. And I'm like, oh my gosh, Jesus, the gift you gave me, I would have slapped this kid up the side of his head if I had not prayed beforehand, right? I would have responded so brutally. Prayers of intimacy illuminate our need and God's desire for relationship with us. And that's what this is about. When you want to spend time with the Father and the Father wants to spend time with you, magic happens. So now the question is, is what do these prayers of intimacy look like in your prayer life? Maybe you have the prayer life that's like, man, I'm, I'm late for work again and I'm on the road and I'm just praying there's no traffic on 87. Please, Lord, just clear a path. That's fine. Keep praying those things. Maybe your prayer life is like, I'm going to dedicate the 20 minutes it takes to get me to work to prayer. And I'm going to pray and I'm going to pray and I'm going to pray every, every day, back and forth, 20 minutes. Amazing. Keep doing it. But just take a second and remember Jesus' instruction as far as why we pray. God already knows what you need. He wants an interaction with you. He wants this relationship to deepen. And he loves you more than you could understand. But he wants that reciprocated in you. Jesus goes on to tell us what that prayer looks like. He says, let's set the scene. You want to talk about routine. You want to do this regularly. You got to get your mind into the why before the how. And then he says, okay, now here's the how. And he says, okay, this is then how you should pray. And we're going to talk about that next week. I'll leave you hanging. Hey, I want you guys to come back, okay? The how is so much easier to understand when you have that right why in your head. This morning we have another opportunity to express our desire and our love for the Father. And that opportunity is communion. We get to take communion together. And this is a public statement that we get to make to one another and to the Father that says, we know, we know what Jesus did for us, and we love him for it. Communion, by taking it, you're admitting faith that Jesus died for you. It's not a figurative thing. It wasn't a cool, you know, vision somebody had at some point. Jesus was a man. He's God's son. He walked among us. He died for our sins with his own blood, and he rose again, and we do this until he comes back. It's beautiful. It's amazing. So that's what we're going to do this morning, and this is, this is how. I'm going to mix it up just a little bit, just a little bit. 
Don't hold your breath. It's okay. We're going to take communion, and this is how we're going to take it. I'm going to read a passage in a minute, and I'm going to say a prayer. And as I'm praying, the band's going to come up, and they're going to sing, play a song. And while I want you guys to sit and wait and sing that song as your heart deepens, as you, as you remember the pain and the sacrifice that Jesus went through for you, not just for the church globally, not just for the world, for you. It's how bad he wants to know you. That's how bad he wants to get to know you. This goes right into the power of routine. We do this regularly. Remind yourself why. Remind yourself of what he's done for you. This is the best proof that we have that God wants to be with us. He sent his son to die for us. So we're going to read that passage, and I'm going to pray, and then we're going to sing. And about two-thirds of the way through that song, we're all going to get up together, and we're going to take communion together as the, the music continues. I think it's an amazing way to ready our hearts for communion. So just wait for me to get up, and we can all get up together. Let me read this to you. We're still in Matthew. Matthew 26, verse 26. This is the night that Jesus is betrayed, the last night he has with his boys. He's telling them everything they need to know to build his church. And he says this to them in verse 26. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body. Can you imagine Jesus saying that to you, and you don't know what's coming? What? How does this make sense? This seems weird. This seems strange. Why would you say this is your body? In 27, verse 27, then he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. This is our participation in his sacrifice, our participation in his crucifixion. By taking the elements together, we're saying Jesus loves us, and Jesus loves me, and he can't wait to come back to be with us. That's what it is, and that's why we take it so seriously. Let me pray, and then we will sing together. Jesus, thank you for giving us this example of communion. (laughs) Thank you for giving us the opportunity to participate with you in the death that you gave us. And by trusting you, by putting our faith in you, we're wrapped in your righteousness and we participate in your death. So Lord, as we eat these, take these elements, we eat this bread and drink this juice, God, I ask that it would sink into our hearts, that it would combine with our motivation to have a routine of meeting with you and spending time with you because we want to. God, this is a powerful thing. So I ask, Lord, that we take a minute and we worship you for the sacrifice that you made for us. And be honored, Lord, by us participating in the thing that you asked us to participate in, to remember your love for us.
your name, amen.